book of Galatians. It's been cool to, uh, we're going to carry on with that for a little bit here. Uh, it was neat talking with some people as they were um, uh, uh, just letting me know that you, you know, you've been intrigued by this book. And some, uh, some one guy says, I had to look it up. He says, I, could, he says, I, I, says, I know, I, I trust that you're telling the truth. But he says, it just seemed way too easy. He said, I had to look it up, make sure you wasn't lying to us. And he's like, and, and you weren't. You were telling the truth. I, said, I still I couldn't believe it until I read it myself. And I love that. I think that, that if it inspires you to just dig into the book, you know we're kind of going through it. So you can, you can read ahead. You can, uh, you know, be the straight A student and t- t- start, start digging in a little bit deeper. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. We've been... Uh, uh, blessed to have Mark Jefferson here last week and sharing. It was uh, it, just good about that, that, that concept of, of walking across the tightrope. If you start out on the, on the back of, of the person carrying you across the tightrope, across Niagara Falls, halfway across Niagara Falls, you don't stop and say, yeah, you know what? I've seen, I've watched you. I, I, I got it from here. You know, put me down. I'm going to take the rest. Maybe I'll carry you on my back. You know, let's, let's do this thing. We don't do that. And in faith, Galatians, uh, the, the book is, is talking so much about that as well. In Galatians chapter 3, that's what he's talking about. He's like, don't, don't, don't change how you're living this life halfway through. It doesn't work. And Paul, you know, one, one person was saying to me, you know, the messages kind of sound the same. You know, the last few weeks, it's like the same kind of thing's been talked about. And, and it's very true. If you've been tracking with us, you would realize that there's a lot of what Paul, he continually repeats something. Well, what is he doing? He's... Um, He's, uh, he's building a defense. It's almost like the Super Bowl. It, the Super Bowl is usually played by, by uh, coaches or teams that have coaches who are, have mastered the understanding of defense uh, and recognizing what the other team is all about and making sure they got something for them. Uh, Paul's the same way. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's like the defensive coordinator for the gospel. There's a guy named Bill Belichick. He's, anybody know him? Patriots uh, head coach. He's, um, he's, he's a genius when it comes to defensive strategy. He's, uh, he's not in the Hall of Fame yet because he's, uh, he's still active. But the guy has some of his game plans. The plans that he set up for Super Bowl games, the plan, the piece of paper has made it into the Hall of Fame. It's just that good. He's had it not just once, he's had that twice. There's only two guys who've had it, and it's only happened three times, and Bill Belichick has done it twice. You know, Paul's the same way. If there was a hall of fame for the defense of the gospel, I think Galatians is what makes it into that hall of fame. He says, you know what? He says, guys, seriously, I'm going to tell you over and over again that there's only one way. There is only one gospel, and this is what it is. It's not any of this other stuff. And they're like, well, what about this Abraham character? He's our father. He's like, yeah, I got you covered. I got a linebacker called, uh, you know, called Faith and the Promise. I'll take care of that. Okay, well, okay, you got me there. But, but uh, what about Moses and the lies? Like, well, you know what? Okay, let's talk about that. I got you there. Well, what about, you know, this, this, uh, these things of, of people, you know, wanting to just sin like crazy if they have this free gift? I got you there. Every, every turn, he's, he's putting something out there. And the thing is, he starts out, and he's all, he's all nice. Like, he starts the whole book by, you know, brothers and sisters, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's kind of friendly. Then he ups the ante in, in uh, chapter 3, and we saw it last week, where he's like, you fools, you know, you, you idiots, it's in some translations. What's going on with you guys? Are you, like, messed right up? Wait a second, Paul. I, I, thought you, I thought you were like brother, brother, you know, like you were nice to us just a couple chapters ago. Why'd you have to go be like this? Because Paul loves this church. He absolutely loves the churches of Galatia. And I say, well, love, you know, love in our, in, our, in our culture, it's like a bankrupt word. It really is. We, we love everything. 
You know, we, we love God, we love our spouse, we love our kids, we love chicken wings, we love the Super Bowl, we love, you know, we love bands, we love Gangnam Style, we love everything, right? It's like love doesn't mean anything. If, we, if we're looking for somebody, you know, you're single here and you're like, oh man, you know, you're checking out people here while I'm preaching, shouldn't be doing that, but uh, there are some pretty good, good looking folks here, but, and good to find them in church, just saying, but if you're like, you're probably looking and you're, and you're saying, you know, what do I, what do I really want in a person? Well, we want love, you know, that the person who really loves me would, would know what I like and, and they, would, they would do lots of that for us, right? If they, if they knew what, you, what, what made you happy, they would try and bring that into your life if they really loved you, right? And if there was things that made you mad, they, they would do their best not to bring that into your life, right? If, if you... Um, if you didn't like it when they called you names, you know, the person who loves you isn't going to bring that into your life, right? That's what we're, we're saying. We would love to have somebody who brings all the good into our lives that they possibly can and keeps all the stuff we don't like out of our lives. We'd say that person loves us. And yet Paul says, I want to challenge that because sometimes you need to hear something that you don't like to hear, and that's called love. Say, well, wait, wait a second, Paul, you're really kind of harsh here on these poor Galatians. It's more like this. If our kid was out walking across Highway 3 right here, and I see him, and I realize that the snow plows are out there, I'm running out there. I'm going to grab Link. I'm going to tackle him to the ground. And when I get him on the other side, I'm not going to be like, whoa, Link, wow, you're really fast. I almost didn't catch you that time. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take him over to the dead cat down there on the road. I'm going to show him the dead cat. and be like, this could have been you. <laughs> what were you thinking? Right? Is that, is that correct? Because yeah. I love my child. Paul's the same way. He's like, what are you guys thinking? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be harsh, but he said, I wish I didn't have to be. He says it later. He says, I want you to get this because I love you. So there's one of those things where understanding as you read this and as we look at this, that this is coming across in a, in a, in a, a framework and a, and a heart attitude of love. Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 I'm going to just t- touch base on the, uh, just because of where we're going. I know Mark, I think, got to ch- uh, verse 14. You got your Bibles with you? No, I don't hear the pages turning, but that could be those iPads. <laughs> Beauty. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. It says that, um, for the scriptures say, curse is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. It says, the ones who depend on the law. Just st- stop right there. Those who depend. Who's he talking to? We looked at the Galatian church, and they were half Jews and half heathens, you know, according to them. Half Gentiles, mostly us, you know, people who are not born into the, into the Jewish faith or under, uh, in, in Israel. He says that there's kind of half and half, and he's talking to the ones who say, if you depend on the law, and that's what the Jews' big thing was. They said, you know, Abraham's our father. We've got the law. God gave us the law. Come on. Like, he didn't give nothing to anybody else. Obviously, we're the chosen people. We're the sons of, uh, of God. He says, if you depend on that, you're in trouble. He says that they depended on that to save them. But he says, those who depend on it are actually under a curse. Like, the Jews would have heard this and said, what, 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 what do you mean? The law and Abraham, like, we're depending on that. That's supposed to save us. And he says, it's the exact opposite. He said, everything you were hoping to be this incredible blessing in your life is actually a curse in your life. And it says, um, he says it's because those who don't observe all of the law, they're under a curse. It's an all or nothing deal. We're talking about the last, 
last uh, night and last week and said, if we, if, we, if we took this piece of glass right here and we started writing down 613 different laws, even if we just started with the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not uh, covet your neighbor's animals and whatever else, right? So it's hamsters and dogs and whatever. So he says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And we put that up there. And we put up all 613. And I, and, and I give you a hammer. And I say, Daryl, just take this hammer and just go break just one. You know, you kept all of them, but you know, that one you broke, you know, you coveted your neighbor's hamster, you know, go up there and break that, break that one. What happens? The whole thing breaks. Paul's saying it's an all or nothing deal with this thing. It's either you keep it all or you don't keep it all. And if you don't, you're under a curse. Well, if every one of us was here and had a hammer, we're all under a curse. There's no way we can say we've kept them all. So he says in verse 11, he says, so it's clear. So it is clear. There's no doubts. It's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. Just remember that. It's clear that no one can do it. So you look around. You're in good company. There's not anybody sitting here that's like, oh, you're not as good as the person next to you. They're so much better than you. They're, you know, they're probably perfect. They're probably actually listening to the sermon right now. You know? Those people are like, and those thoughts can come on you where you're, where you're no good. It says no one can. It's clear. For the scriptures say it's through faith that a, right, that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different. So it's very clear and it's very different. It says very different from the way of the law, which says it's by obeying the law that you got life. It says it's, these things are so different. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago that the gospel is like a road? It's like this is the road that you're on and the ditches are really close. Yeah, they're really close, but they're really different. One's a road, one's a ditch. It doesn't matter if they're going the same way. It doesn't matter if they, they kind of, you know, end up in the same destination. They're so different. He says, don't even think that they get to the same place because they don't. It's very clear that they're very different. And this is the verse that I wanted to focus on today. Verse 13, dear brothers and sisters. Oh no, he's not there yet. He says, sorry, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. See, if we look at it and say uh, every one of us realizes that we can't keep the law, we're under a curse, it becomes pretty amazing that it says Christ has rescued us, Christ has rescued me from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. He took the very curse we deserve. For as written in the scriptures, curses everyone who's hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. He says this, that Christ took it upon himself. He took, he took our punishment for us. See, but verse, you know, verse 13, there's really only a fraction of people who would call themselves Christians that actually live like they believe that verse. That Christ took it all for me. Just leave 13, yeah, thanks. You guys are awesome. Um, that, that they live like that verse is actually true. Think about it for a second. Anybody heard of the term double jeopardy? Yeah, we know who watches Alex Trebek, and yeah, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll have weird laws for 600, Alex. You know, it's uh, the, 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 not that Double Jeopardy. There's a movie that was out called Double Jeopardy way back. It's, it didn't get great ratings. Don't bother watching it. But Double Jeopardy is based on, is based on a law that, um, that says you cannot be tried again for the same offense once you've been acquitted or once the punishment has been served. You cannot be tried again once the punishment has been served or once you've been acquitted. And only a fraction of people actually live this out in, the, in their courtroom of life. 
You know, when I, was in, when I was back in the day when I was homeschooled, one of our favorite courses was uh, Matlock. It was on at 1 o'clock every day, and my, my mom just loved that show. So we'd, every day, homeschool gets a break, and we sit there, and we watch Andy Griffith on Matlock. And uh, being 12, you know, it's like, you're amazed by this guy in the, who's Matlock? What? Who, what's this show? It, it was a TV show. I, I hate the fact that I'm so old now that I don't even, I, I used to laugh at the, I, I'm just, no, you don't understand. Like, there's all these faces, like, what's a, what's a Matlock? You know, is that something you, like, lock your bike up with, or what? Like, it, it, anyways, this show about a lawyer. So, Andy Griffith, for those of you who know, he was, like, this shrewd, smart, he always was one step ahead of everyone else, and it was in the courtroom that at the end of every show at the courtroom, there would be the trial, and uh, there would be the, the prosecutor, there'd be the person on trial, and, and Matlock would always come up with this really creative thing. Like, there was a guy once in a neck brace, and he was there, and they, they lost, and realized, he's like, oh, man, we lost, and he picks up his big book of, uh, of his preparation stuff, and, and I never saw Matlock lose, ever. And he picks it up, and as he stands up, he drops his book of stuff on the floor, and of course, the guy's head goes, He's like, gotcha, right? Just creative, creative stuff. But I pictured this courtroom of life, and what about yours? If we looked at the courtroom of your life this morning, it would look something like this. You are on trial. You are. You're the one who's being accused of, of breaking all of these laws, breaking all the things. You know, you lied, you stole, you've done all these different things, and God is the judge sitting there watching, saying, okay, let's, let's, let's hear this out. You got Jesus as your lawyer, you got the Holy Spirit as your legal counsel, but you got Satan as the accuser, who's a prosecution, who says, you know what, yeah, hey, listen, judge, this guy is guilty. If we were just to run down the Ten Commandments this morning, every one of us, is, they can say, yeah, you are guilty. And so he says, you're guilty as charged, guilty as charged, guilty as charged. And, and the judge has to say, you know what, you're right, you're right. This guy's guilty. And Jesus is like, you know what, so what's the, what's the deal, judge? And he's like, death penalty. He, he dies for this stuff. And, and Jesus says, okay, hold on, judge. I just want to let you know that, that I already paid a death penalty for something I didn't deserve, and I would like to transfer that to him. He says, what? Okay, so the accuser's like, the, the enemy's going to look and say, what, he's free? Yeah, yeah, he's free. He's completely, she's completely 100% free because of what he's already done. He's already paid the death penalty. So now let me ask you this. If you were to leave that courtroom, fully free from all of the charges, would you be going out there and the next day going, hmm, you know, I think I'm just going to go back to the court. I'd, I'd like to try this again. Maybe today will be a different result. Maybe I'll get to try the electric chair. You know, it, it's, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go out there and say, oh, I'm going to subject myself again. Let, let the accuser tell me again how guilty, how guilty, how guilty I am. I'm not going to look at it and see how many things have, have I broken again. It, we wouldn't do that. We would live in the freedom. We'd be like, man, I'm so thankful that I'm free. I'm going to go, I'm going to go live uh, in the freedom. You wouldn't be looking over your shoulder, you know, every day, kind of like this dog, the bounty hunter, like at my door, and you're going to take me in, you know, looking for me. No, we're, we wouldn't. We would just live in freedom. How many of you live in actual freedom in Christ that, that you're not feeling the guilt, the shame all the time of all the things you've messed up? How many of you voluntarily just, just realize, oh, God, I'm such a terrible person. It's, it's, I'm, so, I'm so bad. Look at, how, look at how awful I am. When you go to church, all you feel is guilty. Something's not right in that because he says it's already, it's already paid. What ends up happening is we try and do, do, do. We try and get in that place of where it's going to be about us. I want to tell you something, and, and just listen very carefully to this sentence. Salvation, right standing with God, does not depend on thou shalt and thou shalt not. Salvation, you're getting in 
right standing with God has zero to do with that. It, it's what he's been trying to tell this church the whole time. It's already been paid. You don't go out and say, well, the whole, the whole ticket's been paid, but I want to add on a little bit more to it. Like, you can't. It's been paid. He's what he's saying. And he, he says that God blesses the Gentiles the same way he blessed Abraham, by faith, by simply believing the message. Sitting here this morning, hearing this, saying, you know what? I could be, I could be just completely free of the guilt, completely free of the shame if I could just believe that Jesus did it for me. Yeah, that's what he's trying to say. It's what he's been telling them. And he says, Abraham wasn't saved for anything he did. He was saved because he believed the promise. And that's where it started. And, you know, as you're thinking here, you think, well, uh, you know, why did God give the law then? Did, didn't God give the Ten Commandments? So, so where do they fit in? Aren't we supposed to keep the Ten Commandments? I would say yes, God gave the Ten Commandments. But the right thing used the wrong way still causes negative consequences. For instance, sex. If you think about that for a second, it's God-given. It's great. It's amazing. But it's designed to be used in the context of marriage, to bring two people together, to glue their relationship together, to solidify, to cover like up you know, your mistakes, whatever. It's like a thing that brings two people together. Outside of marriage, it's... It, it absolutely destroys. It ruins people's lives. It drags them so far apart. You're dating somebody, the worst thing you can do is sleep with them. That, that just helps put, a, put a, a seal on, you know, pushing your relationships a, a, apart. It's God-given. Yeah, it's great, but you use it the wrong way, it will destroy you. The law is the same way. He says it's God-given, it's good, but you use it the wrong way, it will destroy you. He's saying don't, don't get caught up in, in thinking that because it's from God that, that uh, the way the enemy uses in your life is the way it works. Look at verse uh, 15. He says this, Dear brothers and sisters, oh good, we're back. You know, he's nice again. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just so no one can set aside, or just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his, ch- and t- uh, his child. Notice the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says, to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement that God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance, salvation, if it could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. A little bit, it's a little bit whatever, um, uh, we'll clear it up. Uh, but it's, he's saying this, let me explain this to you in common English. L- let's just d- dial in here. Let me give you an example that, from this life. Let's say that my in-laws or, or my parents, one of, well, both my in-laws, but my in-laws, you know, they write a will, all right? And they say, you know, should something, you know, we don't want to see it, but should something tragically happen to us, we would leave all of, you know, the, the house, the car, the money, the windmill, whatever it is, we're going to leave it all, the pool, we're going to leave it all to our favorite son-in-law, Mark. And they write this down on paper, right? And I'm thinking it probably does look somewhat like that. Um, <laughs> Jamie, my brother-in-law from Selkirk, he's probably the executor of the will, so it just rubs it in a little bit in his face. You know, he has to read it and hand it all over to me, right? So, so picture this for a second. This will is written, and this has happened. And, and when, when the will comes into effect, is you know, sad to say, it would be a sad thing. Anyways, we, we know. So the will is now in effect, and here we are at the place where we open the will, and Jamie opens the will, and he begins to read, and he's like, um, the car goes to Mark. All right, cool, I'm out for the house, you know. The house goes to Mark. Oh, oh, what? The pool goes to Mark. Oh, what? 
All, everything goes to Mark. As he's reading this, what, what can he not do? He cannot say, well, you know what? Yeah, that, that all goes to you. If uh, you give me all of your stuff, then, then you get this. I'm going to add some stuff to this. And, and, and if, you're, um, if you um, join the fire department, you know, and if, if you buy me something really nice, then, then all this is in. He can't change it. He cannot change anything that's in there because the will has already been set. It's already a document that cannot be changed. And this is what he's saying about the promise. The way salvation happens, it's by simply believing that cannot be changed by this new uh, thing that was added. It wasn't designed to change the end result. I was talking with a guy this week. He talked to me for a couple hours. He was really angry at somebody from our church. I don't know why. You guys are great. You know, but he called up and he was pretty livid. He's like, I can't believe a Christian would do that. And he's like, you know, what kind of Christians you got going on around there? He's like, you know, I, I thought so-and-so was a Christian. I was doing whatever, this deal with this person. And, they, you know, they totally did me wrong. And uh, as, as he's talking, he's like, you know, I'm a Christian. And I would never do anything like that. And I was like, you're a Christian, huh? I was like, I, I, I do know you. Um, and, and there's not very much that I would see in his life that would say, yeah, I could right away say, watching him, oh, yeah, he's a Christian. Not, not much evidence. So I said, so tell me a second. What, what does this Christian thing mean to you? Like, what is a Christian? And he says, well, you know. I'm like, yeah, I, I do know, but what, what, do you, what do you think about it? And he's like, well, Christian. And I says, well, I used to be a Catholic, you know, went to the Catholic church. And so I don't know, I didn't like their stuff so much. So then I started going to, you know, went to your church a few times. And I decided, you know, somebody else went to the Christian church. I thought, yeah, I'll be a Christian. I was like, okay. And, and then what? And what, what is a Christian, what's, what is it all about? He said, well, you know, then you follow the teachings of Jesus. You know, you try and keep the Ten Commandments, try and do some good stuff at least. You know, that's kind of what it is. You try and, try and be Christian. And I was like, okay, so what about Jesus then? What does he have to do with, uh, with your life? I don't know. Like, he's just, he was this good guy in the Bible. Then there was this witch hunt, and they kind of got him out, and they killed him. And wasn't, you know, they say it wasn't his fault. But, you know, it's a nice story anyways. He said this stuff. I'm like, nice story, he said this stuff. He's like, well, yeah, isn't that what it is? I said, what about heaven? What do you think? How do you think you get to heaven? He's like, well, you just, you know, you, you, I, I don't know. I guess you do more good stuff than you do bad stuff. And I'm like, really? And I said, and you think you're, you're a Christian? He's like, yeah. I said, that is nothing about what a Christian is. Zero. And he's like, well, I don't need you to tell me what a Christian is. You know? I was like, I said, listen, just because people go to our church doesn't make them a Christian. He says, if, you're, if your thought process is this is what makes a Christian, you're so, so far off on that person, but you're so far off on you, too. I said, I want to, you know, a Christian, a Christ follower, a person who's, who's in right relationship with Christ, is based on one thing only. It has nothing to do with the do, do, do. It has to do with, you know, have you, have you given control of your life to Christ? Have you said, I receive forgiveness? I receive the, the fact that what he's done in my life. He says, you know what? I, I don't, he says, I'm a pretty good person. He's like, really, I'm not as bad as that person from your church. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it, that, isn't that the way it is, though? It, isn't that what, um, what we all want to do? We, we want to compare our greatest strengths to their greatest weakness. You, you know, we find what they're really bad at, and then we, we don't look at what we're really bad at. We look at what we're really good at. You know, I don't gossip like her, you know, except for me telling you this. But, you know, I don't gossip. You know, I didn't murder nobody. And we look at that. But this is why the law was given. The law was given to make sure that that none of us would have the opportunity to, um, to say that we are, we are righteous, that we are good enough. Um, the, the Bible even says that all our good deeds, they're like dirty rags. If, if, if our good deeds are not motivated out of relationship with Jesus. So going to church, 
you know, helping others, being a good person, listening to your parents, if all that you do is not because of the relationship you have with Jesus, if that's not there, that becomes self-righteous. He says all that stuff is just dirty rags. And it's not like dirty rags like you find out in the shop, you know, got a little bit of oil on them. He says the literal translation is this, these are menstrual rags. Uh, I know, you didn't see that one coming, did you? <laughs> that's in the Bible. He says, wait, what all the good stuff I do is like dirty tampons to God? Makes you think a little bit about, you know, the purpose of why you came to church this morning. You think if this was something that would get you in good with God, that's what he sees. Because, I, I, I know, but it's in the Bible. But what he says is, it's, it's, um, it's in the Hebrew, it is, I'm saying that. But it's, it's what he's saying that, you know what, you can look at it as being good, but it isn't. And he says, if you compare yourself with others, it isn't. He says, I'll give you a, a standard to compare it to so you see what it really is. Verse 19, it says this. Closing up with the last thoughts. Verse 19, don't miss this. Why then was the law given? <laughs> yeah, that's our question. Why was it given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sin. It says in the different translations in the original, it was, it was given to make sin greater. The law was given to make sin greater. It says, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. And, and it says, God gave this law through angels to Moses, who was a mediator between God and people. But now a mediator uh, is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promise? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare we were all prisoners of sin, so we received God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. These verses say this, the law was given that sin might increase. Without the law, there's no knowledge of sin. It's like you driving on the, you know, if there's no law, you can't break it. If you drive, you know, uh, uh, 150 down Highway 3, you're, you're breaking the law, right? And the guy, who, the guy who camps out right there at that church a little ways down the road, you know, black and white car, as soon as you see him, it's like, whoa, it's like, whoa, how fast am I going? And you, you know, you're breaking the law. They're, the same thought is, is that, you know, if you were on the Autobahn out in Germany, which is like, that's pretty sweet, you can speed as much as you want because you're not speeding. There's no law. You can't break it. It's, it's, it's why the law was given to show us that, hey, you know what? You're sick. It's just a diagnostic. It says you've broken this. You need a Savior. If you don't understand that, if you think, hey, I can do it on my own. I'm good. I'm doing church. I'm doing all this stuff. He says, you got to look at this thing and realize that you don't measure up. You need, absolutely need relationship with Jesus. You know, when, uh, when God says that this thing, it makes sin greater, it's like, it's like this whole thought of um, the commandment that says, thou shalt not lie. Anybody who's got kids, uh, you know, like my daughter ran into the room the other day. And she's like, Dad, Mom, Lincoln told a falsehood. And I'm like, told a falsehood? Like, <laughs> what? My wife reads like these Jane Austen novels. I'm like, who knows? You can't go out and tell that in the, you know, whatever. Anyways, but I say, you know what? I start realizing that I'm Lincoln's three, and I thought, man, I can't believe it. He's three. He can lie already. But I just saw on the news this week that two-year-olds know how to lie. They do. It, and, they, and guess what? They didn't learn it from anywhere. It's not like those, you know, it's like, oh, my sweet little kids are so great. You know, they're so innocent. And they grow up, and then they meet these other kids, sometimes church kids. And then they learn how to do bad stuff, you know, like learn how to. That's not it. That's in them. That's in those beautiful, cute little heathens you got downstairs. It's just there. It, they, they don't need any teaching to it. We're born with that sin nature. The, so it's, it says, you know, but that one sin, it'll lead to another. You know, you catch your kid in a lie. What do they do right away? 
It's like, hey, you know, I, I, you know, for instance, Maddox, my son, I don't know, he's the artist, but he decides to color on all the walls. He's the only kid who's done that so far. And, and, and it's like, you, you know, I can't talk to him, but I, I you know, heard another dad who had the same problem, and his kid's coloring on the walls. He goes to his kid and says, listen, hey, did you color on the walls? No. Holding the marker in his hand. Okay, so how did, the, how did the coloring get on the walls? The dog did it. The dog did it. He's like, five years we've had this dog, and now it starts coloring on the walls, you know? He's like, I know that, I know that it's, it's you. I can see it. You, you caught red-handed, but what happens? They, they, they try and cover lie with lie, and it makes the sin abound. See, the law, that the law is given that it continually makes us realize how deserving of a Savior we are, not how deserving of salvation we are. God didn't come save us because we were someone great. It wasn't like you looked down and said, well, those people are pretty awesome. They really got it all together. Well, they're really keeping these commands. All right, you know what? I'm going to save I'm giving them heaven. It's good. He didn't do that. He did it because of how great he is. See, our lives, we, we got to change the paradigm of how we think. We, we so often, even as followers of Christ, think this is all about us. We, we sing those songs that say it's all for your glory, you know, that, that uh, God, I'm yours. Take my whole life, Lord. I want to live it for you. And yet then we're focused on so much of it still being about us, our happiness, our comfort. Oh, God, I need this from you. I, I, it becomes all about us. We still are God in our lives. It says this, the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who promised. The greatest word in that is until. The law was given until the coming of the promise. You know, you take a look at the seasons for a minute. You look outside. What season is it? Winter. And with winter comes snow. And it's okay for it to snow in the winter. We're okay with that. We're, we're in Canada. But if this was happening in July, are we putting up with that? No. No, we're not going to be okay if it's snowing in July. It's not supposed to. It's the wrong season. My question for you this morning is every one of us finds yourself in a season. Which one are you in? Well, we're in winter, Mark. <laughs> Duh. You know? Not that season. What season are you in? There's seasons that the law has in, in your life, in our lives, that allow us, uh, that, that, that it's allowed to beat you up. It is. It's allowed to tell you, no, you're not, you're not righteous. No, you don't have it together in that way. No, you've broken this. You've broken this. You've broken this. It has every right to do that in our lives until, until we come to the place where we say, you're right. You win. I'm taking him instead. You, you know what, you're right. I don't measure up, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Christ. I'm going to look to Jesus only. Then after that, it says, until then, it, after that, it has no place to beat you up in your life. The laws, the, they, they no longer are allowed to be this thing of, of, beating, uh, of beating you up and telling you how bad you are, how guilty you are. It's like the double jeopardy thing we talked about. Now you can live in freedom. It's why he died. The law reveals the need for Jesus. Once that's happened in our lives, it doesn't need to be there anymore. Why is it so crucial that we understand this? Because if we live it a certain way, we'll treat everyone else around us. So one of the number one reasons why the church in North America has like shot itself in the foot is because we've taken laws and rules to everyone around us and tried to say, you've got to live this, you've got to live this, because we do. You know, I'm pretty good, you know, I got it together. And we live it in subconscious. It's subconscious isn't how we treat other people. You know, there's a poem called Invictus by William Ernest Henley. You may have heard of it. It's pretty famous. The last four lines go like this. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. That's probably one of the greatest blasphemies ever written when it comes to us with God. And yet that's probably the, the number one thing the law wants to reveal in us is that we no longer are captain of our soul. 
that we would say, Jesus, I need you. I realize that in Romans it says all have fallen short. Everyone needs a Savior. The law will just tell you that. You know, with my kids, we have this play place downstairs and this big playroom is to tell the kids, hey, you got to go clean up the playroom because it's a disaster. And they go in and they, they're cleaning sort of and then five minutes later they come out, Dad, we're done. And I'm like, what? I did it. You know, we're clean. Go in there and I look and I can see we've got places for stuff. Diego Legos go in the Diego Lego box. The books go in the place. The stuffies go in the stuffy pile. And, and you know, the Barbies go with the Barbies. The cars go with the cars. It's, it's supposed to be a certain way. I go in there and look, and it's like, we did it, and they're stuffy, stuffed in the VCR and underneath, you know, underneath the TV, and it's like, okay, wait a second, you know, it looks a little bit cleaner on the outside, but, but, it, but and all those things, all I got to do is go and look wee little bit and realize it, it's not clean. See, the goal is not perfection, it's relationship. The goal for your Christian life is not to get it all good. He says you don't get saved by doing better, by living cleaner, by being at church more. It's by relationship with Jesus. That not to miss that, the law is given just to freely um, show you that. But it's amazing the law was just given through men. But the gospel, the good news, was given straight directly from God. He says, that's the old thing. It's not what you want. And I leave you with this thought this morning. That Matthew 11, he said, Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you are weary and are heavy laden. I'm going to give you rest. Come to me if your life is just messed up. If things are not going the way they were supposed to, come to me. I'll give you rest. Maybe you're striving really hard. I can't, oh, Christianity is so hard. I just can't do all of this stuff. Stop trying to do everything and just come to Jesus. He'll give you rest. Oh, God, you couldn't accept me. Look at all the crappy things I've done this week. I'm so awful. I'm so rotten. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. You know, for a long time, even at, I, I lived my life, even as pastoring this church, out of a, a season of, of, of no rest at all. Really, just this stirring in my heart that I got to do good for you guys. I got to try and impress that if, if I don't do good, you know, the, I'm going to get emails, you know, and they're not going to like me. And, you know, they're going to they're gonna go to the church next door or something. And it's like, I got, I got to have this all together. You know what? I realize that just focusing on relationship with Jesus is the best thing that I can do for, for our church and to call you to that same thing. That your relationship with Christ would grow today that you would realize that what he did on the cross is truly amazing grace. If we can have our ushers come up to the front, if we can get a bunch of you real quick. I want to just uh, distribute the emblems of communion. Would be great. I want to just go back to verse 13 where it says, but Christ rescued me. He rescued me from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on the cross. He took upon himself the curse from my wrongdoing. Even as they're passing these out this morning, I want to just ask you, what season are you in? What season are you in in your life? Are you part of the, the, the fraction of believers who just lives in the freedom that Jesus paid for? You realize, you know what? I know that it's all about Him. It's why we celebrate this. Jesus said, hey, take this bread and take this cup as a symbol of what I've done. Remember what I've done. It's something we need to set our focus on many times. Paul did it with the Galatians. Come back to this. Come back to this. Come back to this. It is about the fact that Jesus did it all. I set my eyes on him. I set my eyes not on the cross, but on Jesus. I set my eyes on what he did for me there. And in that relationship with him, I realized that my sin is paid for. I can have relationship with God. This morning, maybe you're here and you've been that person who's just been going to church. You've been here lots of Sundays. 
but you don't know Jesus. You don't. You, you, your, your relationship with Christ is all about the stuff you do. And you think because you do the good enough stuff, enough of it, you don't need Him. You don't need the real relationship with Him. Don't get caught there. You know, the law just says that that is not what this was all about. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're just like, I don't need Jesus. I just, I'm going to be my own happiness. I just want to do what I want to do. I'm the captain of my soul. I would encourage you this morning to realize that don't compare yourself to other people. You'll always find someone dirtier than you. But to just look at the law and look at it and realize that what Jesus did there was for you. And finally, if you're here and you're a believer and the law is beating you up, you've put your faith in Christ, you've set your eyes on what he did on the cross and you believe that, then I want to encourage you to just receive that this morning, to realize saying, you know what? I am not living and allowing the law to beat me up anymore. Because the enemy, the accuser, he's going to keep trying to tell you. If you'll believe it, he'll have you in court every single day. He will. The price has been paid. The price has been paid. That is why it is such amazing, amazing grace. This morning we're going to do communion different. We're going to have a video that's going to be showing in a second here. I want to just encourage you to just take a couple seconds to figure out where this is at with you uh, and God. That as you watch, as you watch this, it's just a worship tune. It's, it's uh, as you're thinking about, think about you and where you're at. Maybe this morning, if you're the person who says, you know what, I don't know Christ, I encourage you to take the, these two emblems as, as just into your own life saying, you know what, Jesus, I receive what you did for me. I, I, I turn from the, the the, trying to live the rules and live the laws. I turn from breaking all of it and how bad I am. God, I look to you. This morning, maybe if it's you saying, hey, I'm just going to receive this as that forgiveness, Lord, to live this every day, look into you and build a relationship with you, take that in. Some of you, it's just going to be a reminder again of what Jesus did for you. But for others, it's going to be a reminder that you have Christ in you. You can, you can overcome. You can be a conqueror because you got him in you. Just remember that what Paul's talking about is don't go back. Don't go back to the old life. Don't go back to rules. Live in amazing grace.